0: Give me a moment's peace and take out the trash.
1: We pay taxes for people to come and take the garbage. Hey,
0: listen, Greenie, no more sneaking rides to the junkyard. Yeah, man, take a taxi when you want to go to the junkyard. Welcome to Hot Trash Unlimited, the show where me, Joe, and me, Caleb, We don't go to the cinema.
1: We've been doing this long enough. You should have this Okay, it's
0: it's inconsistent enough and circumstances change to where we seek out movies that could or could not be hot trash.
1: Don't even mention the seeking, just we watch movies. We watch
0: movies and who knows, they might be trashy, they might not be not.
1: Yeah, I think we should just abandon the premise at some point. I'm not ready to yet, but... (laughs)
0: Eventually, we're just going to be talking about movies of semi-nostalgic
1: importance, maybe. Who knows? Well, I think right now, for those of you who... Because uh, we haven't made an episode in a while, so yeah. just to remind the listener, we are no longer hunting in the in the world of the local theater because that wasn't producing for us. <laughs> so now we're looking at categories of movies that could uh,
0: consist of hot trash. We've been uh, going back through our childhood of adaptions of young adult books, unsuccessful adaptions, something that was trying to start a franchise and horrifically failed.
1: Although it could be arguable with this one, whether or not they wanted to... I don't think they were... (laughs) They do the thing of, and everything was solved, or was it? Yeah, dot, dot, (laughs) dot. We'll get to the ending, but it almost is like just fully commits in a way that I think works better than like Percy Jackson, Mm -hmm. but uh, (laughs) not quite. Doesn't quite stick the landing. We're
0: going to be talking about a series of unfortunate events. Not the show. Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, the 2004 movie.
1: No one knows the precise cause of the Baudelaire fire. And just like that, the Baudelaire children became the Baudelaire orphans.
0: I'm taking you to live with your closest relatives. And he's an actor by trade. Isn't that exciting?
1: Hello, hello, hello. I am your beloved Count Olaf. Yeah, much like Bram Stoker's Dracula or Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, did the author have any input? Well, in those last two cases, they were dead, so <laughs> definitely not. And in Lightning Thief's case, he was ignored. <laughs> well, he, he doesn't have his name on it, but I don't, I don't think good old Daniel Handler had too much to do with this version either. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google that while you do some introduction. His he isn't a producer on anything, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, this is the story for those of you who don't know, based on the 13. I would call them smash hits. They were a little bit more popular, niche, but they were definitely popular. Yeah, of a series of unfortunate events, the story of three children, the Baudelaires who, after their parents tragically die in a fire, are pursued by the villainous Count Olaf in his many machinations to get their fortunes as they are shunted off from one guardian to the other. This movie adapts the first three books, The Bad Beginning, The Reptile Room, and The Wide Window, using the first book, The Bad Beginning, as kind of its framing device. It begins there, moves on to the other two books, and then wraps up its plot with the finale of Bad Beginning, which is certainly an approach
0: uh, his script got rewritten and Sonerfield was attached to direct. But then he left over budgetary concerns.
1: Okay. And he would of course go on to direct the show mm-hmm. as things stand. I am much more happy that he got to do the show because I feel like because these are such short stories, you can't extend a single book into a whole movie, but I don't think condensing them like they do here works either do we want to go over our our little history with the books yeah yeah let's do that um i
0: think you similar to me we my dad introduced me to these uh through the good old book on tape yeah we listened to these every me and my sister listened to these every night before bed um and i started on the wide window and then worked my way back
1: the first one i remember seeing was a friend was reading the hostile hospital and i just remember the cover was very striking Um, But the first one I read was the fifth one, Austere Academy, which is still my favorite. Okay, interesting. The middle
0: section of the books I don't like as much.
1: Well, because I think it starts off fairly strong, but then there is a point near the end, and I think it's kind of arguable which book it happens, but the plot becomes more and more, like the overarching plot becomes more and more important, and it never quite is as interesting as it needs to be. Mm-hmm.
0: But then I saw this movie, I didn't see it in theaters, but this was a big road trip movie where this one was always in the van and we'd have it on the built-in DVD player on. And I loved watching this movie over and over.
1: We watched it once because our whole family, you know, our parents write us the books. We all listened to the audio tapes on trips and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, so our family got from the library and it was, I remember it being like a big movie night for us. And I think all of us were somewhat disappointed by it. I mean, I'm sure my parents didn't actually care that much because (laughs) kids movie based off of the kids book, but you know, yeah. but I didn't, I I didn't see it since much like, uh, last you, you saw Percy Jackson, the movie multiple times, right? handful, not as much as this one. I've
0: definitely seen this one more, probably not like within the last five years, but like Within the past ten, at least, which I can't say for Percy Jackson.
1: Yeah, so same with Percy Jackson. I I saw it once and then didn't see it again, mm-hmm. and um, my little purist heart was upset by it. Well, how's your purist heart feel about this one? Oh, it's fine. Like, there's definitely a lot of strengths going on here. Um, the visual identity of the film, it, Jim Carrey, it,
0: it's got it down.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know how what you want to dive into first. I think there is. There are two big negatives here that I do think kind of hold let's it back. Dive into, let's dive into casting because I, you, you said before we're going to probably be doing a lot
0: of comparing to the show.
1: Yes, yeah. Well, I'm going to try to avoid that as much as possible, but there are one or two points where it's hard here, especially mm-hmm. like because the show reuses one of the actors from the movie, and so.
0: Yeah. Uh. Well. Okay. We'll start with the titular character, Lemony Snicket. <laughs> Just kidding.
1: The silhouette of Jude Law. <laughs> and the voice. And the voice. The silhouette was so distracting, though, once I realized, this looks familiar. Oh, he looks like Jim Halpert. From The Office. Yeah, it's just the hair looks like season one or two Jim. <laughs> no, that's
0: definitely late season, Jim. It's not a bowl cut. It's, it's the it's the swoop back.
1: I guess. Yeah, yeah. I guess I because there was a certain point in the show where he had kind of long hair. Mm-hmm. Not exactly a mullet, but definitely had longer hair in front and kind of quaffed back.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was later. That's later yeah. office. But no, let's talk about uh, Jim Carrey as Count Olaf. I mean, it's Jim Carrey. <laughs> I, I so I don't want to say he disappears into the role because, like, it's still a very Jim Carrey ass performance. But like, you, I don't see Jim Carrey really until you like you said until he starts seeing the facial expressions. But like. Yeah, a good job of making this not look like Jim Carrey.
1: Yeah, the makeup department definitely. And because Count Olaf has disguises, they had to do this. Three multiple, times. <laughs> yeah, three times. The makeup department does did a really good job on this. I think the moments that it's the most Jim Carrey are also the moments that are kind of a little distracting. There are just points where they're letting him ham it up. Oh, like, to,
0: like when he's just doing stuff like that. Well, it's
1: just like other things will be happening and then it will kind of cut back to him the part where he's hanging out with his troop while they cook dinner. It's fun because it's Jim Carrey and he's very talented, but also it's like, what purpose is this serving other than the fact that y'all bagged Jim Carrey and you want to make this as Jim Carrey as possible. I think he's having a grand old time with it though. I'm, I don't think I've ever seen him in a movie where he's not, <laughs> but
0: I've seen Mr. Popper's penguins. He, <laughs> he looks sad during that
1: movie. Yeah, no, he is. He is. He's very good casting here. He's having a lot of fun. I enjoy I enjoy him for the most part, but there are those one or two moments uh, where it doesn't quite land for me. I think, especially with the Cap- Captain Sham character, yeah, it has the same problem that the show does with me, where uh, they cast
0: these extremely likable actors as this extremely terrible person, yeah. who is not <laughs> nearly as likable in the
1: books. No, but the one, the thing I'll push back on is that, like I said, I listened to the books a lot as a kid. Tim Curry is also very likable, and he. <laughs> He's also voicing everyone. <laughs> yes. But like the highlight of the Tim Curry narration is his count Olaf voice. All right, let's move on to the kids. They're fine. Yeah. There's moments where it's like, oh they're kids. Like the the, the twins who are playing Sunny are twins. Like they're yeah,
0: they're babies, yes. <laughs> they're infants.
1: Props to whoever worked with them, their acting coach or whatever. I think Violet's pretty strong here. Um you said she was Australian. Yep. Yeah, I don't I don't feel like that ever comes through in her voice. No, she has no, a,
0: never. It's a great accent.
1: Klaus is clearly going through puberty. And uh, I mean, good for him. I, I looked up what he looks like now. He's a cute guy. But <laughs> at the same time, puberty did his job. <laughs> it, it can make for some awkward line deliveries and stuff. I definitely think he's not as strong as Violet. There's a couple just like where it's like, yeah, we could have got a better read on that one. Yeah, yeah. But I mean. I, I would much prefer that they cast a kid who is this age. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if they're the exact ages that they're supposed to be in the story, but uh, the fact that they are kids, because if they were teenagers, none, the my suspension of disbelief would be broken. Yeah. Because this is supposed to be like kind of running on a kid logic where a kid can think through how to get through with this in a way that would never work, but is ridiculous enough to be entertaining. hmm
0: Yeah, I was the oldest at 14, which is like just
1: on the cusp
0: of uh, realm of unbelievability. And then there's a bunch of big actors in this playing all kinds of roles.
1: Dustin Hoffman's in it for whatever reason. Yeah, Cedric or not Cedric (laughs) Tigger, Cedric, the entertainer who keeps coming back. Uh, Jane Lynch for a two second cameo.
0: Meryl Streep just man. Proving those acting abilities.
1: I, you know, <laughs> she's not bad. The problem, the problem I think is one, it's always jarring to see Meryl Streep ham it up. It's well, the yeah, same there's thing level. With, there's so many levels of ham going in. Yeah. This
0: where Jim Carrey ham is one thing. It's like you kind of expect that when you get Jim Carrey. But then when you have like Meryl oh. Streep, like directly like two inches from his face and these long shots going just as ham it's very weird
1: it's just it's hard because aunt josephine is the worst character like in terms of the guardians Mm because count all off you don't have to like him he's just the villain yeah and then you get uncle monty who is super likable an idiot but super (laughs) likable then you get to josephine and it's the same problem i have with her in the books she is she's not evil but she's certainly not likable yeah you just i don't want to be around this person And I do think they make she does try to sell out the kids at the very end. And I'm like, I just never think that there is a moment where this character works. So I can't really blame Meryl Streep for it. Mm -hmm. Catherine O'Hara has two lines. (laughs) No, no,
0: no. Not Catherine O'Hara. She's just a Strauss. Yeah. No, I'm jumping to her. She gets more than two lines. I'm not sure. She She has a she so she has the introduction or not my neighbor or whatever or he is my neighbor. She, she, she and she has a bunch during the play while Klaus is climbing up the tower
1: she's having to do this like long uh, yeah she's officiating a wedding yeah but like those are lines that were written for the character of Justice Strauss well, lines yes. that Justice Strauss is saying because they are things she would say in the <laughs> world it's just weird especially because I hear her and now I just think of her as the optometrist in uh, book four of the show and I'm just like oh you're a villain <laughs> Because she has such a good villain voice too. It's a lot like Catherine Hans' uh, Doc Ock voice, where it's like you're not doing anything overtly evil. You just have you just such have a,
0: such a good villainous voice. Yeah.
1: Anyway, so I, Justice Strauss, which, but that's more about the show than it is, yeah, the movie. That's about everybody notable, right? I mean, I'm sure there's like one or two other big actors who are forgetting. You,
0: what's his name? Uh, Mr. Poe's
1: actor. Oh yeah, I mean. Mr. Poe and all the henchmen are like, like Jennifer Coolidge is one of the oh, yeah. one of the hench ladies. But it's like they don't do anything. So why bring <laughs> him up? He's yeah. like, like, oh yeah, Craig Ferguson's there. <laughs> Doesn't say a word. <laughs> <laughs> he exists. I recognize right, the uh, the bald headed guy from uh, from Boogie Nights. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's a lot of, I mean the the main thing this movie suffers from. I think the big negative. Is just the the curse of adapting books, much less adapting three books into one thing, smushing it, having to move stuff around, create your own climaxes because every single one of the books has a climax and they have to have every climax in it. But they move the first book's climax to the very end of the movie, so they have to create a, have new to cl- a new climax, climax,
1: which is probably like it's not out of line for something that would happen in the books, but it's definitely the least interesting setup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the Spark Notes nature of this. Like you never get a real feeling of relationship between the orphans and their, uh, and their guardians guardians. Thank you. I, w- I was struggling there. <laughs> um. They set things up in the first act that don't come back till the third act, but you've had two complete stories in between. Yeah. So like justice Strauss coming in, I could very easily see someone forgetting who she was. Cause she was in one scene at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, there, and like the hench people never get time to shine. Which is disappointing because they're one of the most fun things about the books. It's that's the, that's the problem with just crowding it. Like you, you have all these characters, but you only have an hour forty seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's just like it's a problem. I can't deny that it's a problem. But also, that's what they committed to when they started this. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's like an axiomatic problem with the movie. If you, if you change that, if you fix that, you do not have the movie you have. Mm-hmm. You have probably the TV show. Which yeah, so.
0: They're kind of spark noting through this, which to a degree, Lightning Thief did. But Lightning Thief was also changing stuff around because it it seemed like the only intent with Lightning Thief was to make that one movie.
1: Yeah, it's keeping, it's mostly keeping the same story beats. Obviously changes up one or two. Um, the only thing it's cutting out is foreshadowing. Yeah. Which is, I think, much less egregious. Oh yeah, I'd, I'd
0: prefer it in some cases. Yeah. And like you said, this, t- to a certain extent, I need to go back and rewatch some the episodes of the TV show. This is almost like one to one with the books, as one to one as the TV show is. Like in the yeah. beginning, like well, where.
1: And that's the thing is all of these stories, even in the books, are extremely rushed. Mm-hmm. Even to the point where it's like when the show started, I was like, "Is that the same actor for Violet?" There's no way in it. Is. It's been it's been fifteen years. But do you think that's just because the books have such a graphic like notability?
0: I wouldn't say so much for Violet because you could get any like taller, dark haired girl and I think it would work but like down a facial structure they have the same thing and then like count all off the difference where they? he's so distinct but even then like it feels like they are this show was as influenced from the movie as it was from the books
1: well yeah and I think you can definitely see the DNA there because a lot of these it's not only actors it's locations mm-hmm. and I think part of that does go back to the books like the books the binding on the books the the cover images, everything within the books is super noticeable. I'd say the graphic design of the book is almost as like as important to the success of the books than the than the actual story how long they they can have been like more than a hundred pages, right? each book uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how long they got towards the end because they did get longer uh-huh. but uh they weren't long. they were very short but i think I think the the books just give you such clear visions of what things look like. That Mm -hmm. makes sense that there would be the connective tissue in between them. Yeah, I think the other problem is that the the ending just doesn't work. They get to the finale. (laughs) Is it an ending?
0: Yeah. Is it
1: sequel bait? Why not both? (laughs) They get to the finale and they wrap up both Count Olaf's current scheme, Mm -hmm. trying to marry Violet, and also the mystery of who burnt down the Baudelaire's house—the yes. thing that doesn't need to be a mystery, yeah—in the first place. And they, no, Caleb, these things don't just happen. I mean, it was pretty obvious who did it in the books, without <laughs> them ever having to explain it. <laughs> and like, also, this is a world about mysteries. It's a world about like there are secret organizations and there are artillery, arterial motives and all this stuff. So I feel like having such a nice bow at the end. Where Count Olaf goes to jail. Oh, but wait, wait. Then he escaped, and well, he also had to die seven times. Yeah, <laughs> they they find out a little bit more about VFD, but then they have to go off to their next person. So if they make a sequel, is it going to be the Vile Village? I'm not sure. Or not no, the Vile it, Village. It would be uh, Miserable Mill. Yeah, the Miserable Mill. Similar locations in my mind. It's such a weird back and forth where it's like happy ending, not really. And mm-hmm. I'm like, just let the ending suck. Like that's part of the fun of the books is that there is like the they do continue to persist and they're resourceful, but like it does take its commitment to this being a tragedy seriously. Well, and the books are the books are black comedy,
0: and the DNA is in this for like it, it's a black comedy in the movie too. But there's a giant Nickelodeon logo at the yeah, beginning, yeah. So like, <laughs>
1: I'd say it's a black comedy up until the like, like those last five minutes, yeah where it doesn't quite commit. Yeah. It doesn't realize what what you need to wrap this up is not a big victory, it's small victories. Mm-hmm. And like because I also think that teaches kids a valuable lesson in life where it's like there aren't big victories. Like you you can have a good Year or whatever, but your next year might suck. Mm-hmm. Like, so focus on the small ones that get you to the next steps. Or the
0: course of five days, or however long this yeah I mean, movie takes place in whatever year.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, a kid reading this like can then can then internalize yeah. that lesson. Yeah, um, and I think you know, I think that's a valuable lesson for kids to learn. So, and I just the movie really drops the ball on it. Do. Compared to your time with Percy
0: Jackson, than that movie, how how are you feeling during this one?
1: Oh, this is this is consistently entertaining. Is yeah. the thing, um, mainly just because I think there is a lot of a lot of weight being carried by Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. uh, especially when we get to the Reptile Room and he's playing Stefan. <laughs> <It's> Stefano. Stefano. <laughs> it's me. Stefano. He, he looks like John Waters, but he sounds almost like Patrick Warburton. <laughs> It's me, the Italian man, Stefano. <laughs> yes, this this accent is Italian. I will admit my my attention did slip during the wide window. It just at that point, partially because I don't like the wide window in general, and also because that's where that a point,
0: lot of changes are starting to.
1: At that point in the movie, I'm just kind of tired. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, and I know we still have the wedding after this, and it's just it's also boring, like the whole scene where. Uh, josephine meets captain sham it's just like it keeps coming back to the kids having the same expression on their face because there's nothing going on in this scene it's just the two of them hamming it up <laughs> well they, they do the, they're trying to do the
0: tired thing because every adult in this series is an idiot yes and and it's kind of like
1: it echoes how it gets in the books at a certain point where you're like come on well, it's a thing you also get it in like slasher movies where it's like all like part of the fun for a kids series is that the kids have to go behind the parents' back and mm-hmm. stuff. It's like in the slasher movies, the kids can't rely on like authority structures. I think it's the same thing here, but it's like also at a certain point, you're like, all of you are very well read. Like you're a you're a scientist. You're like uh, an ex-adventurer. You keep going into into the rest but they don't, of the...
0: the but they have blind face syndrome.
1: Yeah. Where? Well, it's that thing where it's like you can have uh, professors who are like top of their field but they just can't communicate to students. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had that college professor who was
0: genius. Terrible teacher.
1: Oh, yeah. It's a different skill. Same here. Uh, knowing how to properly uh, construct a sentence is not the same as noticing that this person is clearly Jim Carrey. <laughs> It's even worse than the show because and I say this worse in a way where it's like it's a feature, not a bug. But it's like, man, there's even less disappearing into the role that Neil Patrick Harris does.
0: Um, yeah, it works in two ways where in the movie, hilarious seeing the extensive makeup they put Jim Carrey through in the show. Hilarious seeing how bad the disguises yes. are. You're right. It's a feature, not a bug. It's just their different way of adapting it. Stefano in the show, I don't like as much because it's like, OK, this is just, this is just bad looking. But it works in the context. it's fun on the movie. I'm like, oh, this is great. yes,
1: I would say the the best part of this movie is the Reptile Room, yeah, that's my
0: favorite book too
1: i mean it it definitely is one of the stronger books. I think a lot of what makes the book so strong isn't in this though, because they're spark they're speed running it, mm-hmm. and so like I feel like this is where they get most creative with how to condense the story it It still isn't perfect, but it's definitely better than what they do with the other two books,
0: yeah. Also, you're right in that they're speedrunning it. In terms of the show, though, like we, we keep referencing it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rag on the show for a second. There's some of those stories. All the all the episodes are two parters, except mm-hmm. for the final episode. That's when one, that one's a three parter.
1: I, th- I think that the last one's just one. OK, maybe it's one. Yeah.
0: Every every episode's a two parter for the most part, though. There's some of those that they're having to stretch out really far too, where it really just depends.
1: Well, yeah. And what they're doing in the show, which they reference here, which is, I think, the main reason why this feels like they're trying to sequel bait, but you're also not sure. In the show, whenever they pad something out, they make it have to do with the sequel organization, VFD. Mm-hmm. Here, they keep kind of poking the bear, but they never fully commit to giving you any information about it. Well, I mean, that's one of the things in the books where it's like, this. there wasn't necessarily a a full coherent thought in the books at this point. Yeah, but that's that's what makes that's one of the strengths of adaptation Mm -hmm. is Is you're
0: able to go back and fix that kind of stuff.
1: Cause I'd say just about every series we talk about and more that we could throw in there like Harry Potter and stuff that we read as kids had things that came up late in the series that could have been better set up in their originals. That's just kind of the nature of these books that, you know, you start out with the first book. If it does well, you'll continue on.
0: Mm hmm. I was wondering how far the books were into this. It the books ended in No. Six, so yeah, they were already pretty deep into the series at this point.
1: Yeah, and not to get too mean to the books, because I don't think they end well. But um, at once you get to like Grim Grotto, there's no more information given. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those books really fall off. <laughs> well, they get, they get so much darker too. Do you think this movie like I ob- but. Beyond the beyond Jim Carrey hamming it up, do you think this movie has good humor? Yeah, oh, yeah, I, again, the
0: black humor of just like you gotta be kidding me of stuff like when everything going wrong in the wide window house, it's like, oh, it's everything Josephine said before, and even the Violet's like, come on, like this, yeah. is, this is ridiculous. Sunny, they're they're fun with her subtitles, they have to do her just it's like you know, someone's from Crazy Town is a very like kiddish joke, and it's like, oh wait, she's the mayor, crazy. And I'm like, okay, you went, you went the, you went the extra step to make it funnier. <sighs> I wish the troupe was funnier. I just wish I had stuff to do.
1: <laughs> what do they do? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you see, the pale faced ladies introduce the play, and they're in Lac- Lake Lachermose to be there. Yeah, the man of indeterminate gender is there to be confusing.
1: Who is? Who's even the hinge person? Is it the hook-handed man? Do they keep that the same for the reptile room? Yes. Okay. Because like I don't think he's ever even center frame in that in that section of the movie. No, he's not. He's always off to the side and then Baldy never does anything. I he you can see him play around like with the backstage set and stuff. There's some physical oh, comedy yeah, there. I feel like the narration isn't as funny as I wish it was. I don't know. If that's necessarily just because it's not well incorporated, or if it all just feels kind of samey after a while? Yeah,
0: it's kind of a samey thing. Where is it? Is the first time he like it? It really takes you out of the movie for a second. When not uh, aside from the beginning is when uh, the incredibly deadly viper attacks Sunny, or when yeah. it, no, when, it, when it first jumps out to attack. Yeah, it yeah. does
1: that, and then it does it once during Wide Window. Yeah,
0: where let me stick it as a character is like just as important as everybody else, which the TV show does amazingly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the books do through, I'd say mainly through the dedications. Mm hmm. This one, this is definitely out of all the adaptations. The one where Limney Snicket feels the less pres, least present. Mm hmm. I will also say this has a.
0: Well, and I, I think that's also, it's like, is it because they, they weren't greenlit for a sequel immediately? Did they want like, did they know if they were going to have Lemony Snicket be a character or just a narrator?
1: Yeah. Well, and you could easily adapt these with Lemony Snicket never being a character. Uh, easily. That would have yeah, been yeah. Fine.
0: yeah. It's just how much of the book's DNA do you want to be in the movie? And I think they did a good job for the most part. This is like, it really is a thing of, it's it's being held back just by being a movie. Which, yeah. I mean, TV, it was a much different era of TV. This wouldn't have gotten greenlit. Well,
1: and even, even the TV show isn't perfect in how mm-hmm. it adapts things. Like, it's just these are books and they're structured to be books. And so it's very hard to adapt them outside of it. I think both this and the TV show do a good job. Not a good enough job to get obnoxious little Caleb on board, but a good enough job for adult Caleb to be fine with it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, It's just missing that like extra, extra step to really push through all the way. I, I do want to say one of the areas that the comedy does work, and I'd say just in general, the movie works is the cinematography. Um, Emmanuel Lebeski is the cinematographer, and he's like he he did Children, Men, and Gravity and oh, The Revenant. Okay. He's like a legit like this. This director is like a director for hire. Mm-hmm. This cinematographer is a professional. Yeah, and so I and I think there is a lot. Especially, I don't think it's the strongest scene in the movie. But if you go back and you watch the scene where they're stuck on the train tracks, just the slow reveal of everything is shot so well with how the camera is panning, and then it like slides over, and you can see the glass bottle shaking and stuff. I like all the
0: shots in the house,
1: yeah, right at, yeah. Uh, of
0: Count Olaf's house when they're going through and getting the tour.
1: Yeah, there's just a lot of there's a lot of cool personality to the to the cinematography that mm-hmm. helps a lot. Yeah,
0: i this movie nails just about everything except for like story beats. Really,
1: yeah, it nails what it can.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it feels the limitations of its form.
1: You know what? It feels like a like if they were to make a stage adaptation, this is probably what they would do.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I,
1: I've, I can kind of cut a play it play within slack. a play. Yeah, I think I can kind of cut it as slack, some slack, thinking about those terms. Because when I think about like stage adaptations, I w- I don't think they my mind doesn't go to they need to be as strictly adherent. And I think that's just what I should have gotten through my head as a kid was like strictly adherent doesn't, coherent doesn't mean like good. Yeah. um, and And you look at some of the best adaptations of things I like today like the Sandman, faithful where it can be, but is very ready to just cut, trim, and reshape mm-hmm. to make more sense in both a di- different time period and a different medium. Um, and I th- I've, I'm glad that I've matured to the point where I no longer see that as a problem. And I think that's what this movie's trying to do. So what are you of going to rate it? We, Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, this is a hot trash. This is, this is a perfectly this, fine movie. Yeah, it's, I, I, it's good. I like it. I will say there's no reason for me to ever go back and rewatch this with the TV show. That's true. I would say the TV show is better than the books also because (laughs) it nails down an (laughs) Indian, but yeah, like not bad at all. Yeah. Well guys, thank you for joining in on our discussion today. If you have a movie that you think you would, we would uh, be able to get some interesting conversation out of that's possibly hot trash. You can send that over to us. Unlimited at gmail.com or put it into a review. If you give us a review, not only is that a good way to get in touch with us, but that also lets other people get recommended our podcast. Everything is based off of the algorithms, and the algorithms are based off of the reviews. So go, go check that out. And thank you for listening. Hey, Joe, what lessons did we learn today?
0: Always have an anchor nearby if your house happens to be built on the edge of a cliff with Uh, A very uh, interesting code of foundational (laughs) conduct it has to meet.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just in case. (laughs) Just in case.